0: All right. Episode 14 of the Close Range Hunter podcasts It's been a long time I just looked. Uh, I think I did the last episode in April or something like that. It's August now. It seems like it couldn't be that long, but it's been a good summer. I've been busy with lots of stuff. And since, you know, my podcast is mostly about hunting and stuff, well, most of the traditional hunting has been over for a while, and so I haven't been thinking about it as much, but I did do some hunting, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. But now we are, uh, usually my, my hunting mojo gets going when the monsoon starts here in Arizona. I start thinking about archery deer hunting again, and so I want to talk a little bit about that today. But first, we'll uh, do a little catching up on what's been going on. There's probably a couple of other podcasts embedded in here, at least one other one, but I'll, uh, I'll save most of that for later. Um, so it's been a long time. Like I say, I've been, been doing lots of other stuff. Um, you know, since April, she's real busy with the llama business stuff. Um, sold some llamas in April to some guys in Wyoming, which I'll talk about in a minute. And um, then my daughter, my oldest daughter Zoe, got married in June. Um, so we were up in Colorado for that. Um, But before that, my younger daughter, Phoebe, had a bison tag on the North Kaibab. Kind of a funny deal. She was getting ready to go to graduate school where she is going to be starting here shortly. And I thought, oh, she's going to be going to graduate school out of state or something like that. So I wanted to see if she could draw a bison tag while she was still a resident. And so I put her in. I think she had maybe 10 or 12 points or something like that. And dang, if she didn't draw draw the tag... The problem was we had the heaviest winter in, you know, history practically here, uh, certainly in the last 20, 25 years. And the bison up on the North Rim live in Grand Canyon National Park in the wintertime where you can't hunt them. And so, you know, the snow was piled up. I think they had 240, 250 inches of snow up there, some places even more than that. And so it's kind of an iffy deal. The hunt actually started in late March, I believe, but she was in school college and and couldn't get away so we didn't actually go hunting until Memorial Day weekend and then the hunt ended June 8th and uh, I went up there when they opened the road on the 15th of May and you basically couldn't get off the main highway the Grand Canyon still wasn't open but you could drive to the canyon uh, entrance station on the pavement but after that you really couldn't get off the highway anywhere up there because of snow banks Um, the outfitters up there were using Uh, side-by-sides with snowcat tracks on them and stuff like that to get in there but it was pretty rough most of the bison just aren't coming out of the park the plateau outside the park is actually higher elevation than inside the park and so you know conditions spring conditions start lower elevation inside the park where they're already there and they don't really come out until it starts greening up outside the park and the water inside the park starts drying up and stuff like that so it was pretty tough. I went up there and kind of did some scouting around. Then we started out hunting Memorial Day weekend and, um, spent a few days up there, um, dodging snow banks, did some crazy route finding to try to get into where I really wanted to hunt with her. Cause I'd, I'd hunted there before in, uh, 2018 and, and I killed a bison up there. So I kind of knew what was going on, but, um, it was, you know, it was just pretty grim. There was very little fresh sign coming out of the park. So, Came back home for a couple of days and then headed back up again, 1st of June and hunt until June 8th. And long story short, we never saw bison, period. Um, found a couple spots where they were coming out of the park, but they weren't coming very far out of the park, um, you know, coming out to Salt Licks and things like that. We hiked uh, something like 60 miles, and that's considering a lot of days we were just sitting, um, you know, whole entire days from dark till dark, sitting uh on salt lakes or springs or water holes or something like that waiting for them to come out of the park so we hunted really hard um and when we weren't sitting we were hiking trying to find fresh sign to hunt and that's really the way to hunt up there i mean you'll hear the story oh you'll never kill anything if you're you know not sitting salt or sitting water which is just a bunch of bs um when i killed mine i did exactly what i did with hers i just started walking the the park boundary cuz they're coming out of the park and they're big animals they leave a lot of tracks and so um you find some sign and you hunt there. And, you know, either they're coming out or they're not, but that's your best chance. And so that's kind of what we did. We covered a lot of ground. We actually had a pretty good time, even though we didn't see any bison. Um, we picked up a lot of fossils, saw tons of deer, got into identifying birds We found, you know, tons of tons of birds, um, you know, lots of squirrels. And it was just a beautiful time to be there, but there was still tons of snow. I mean, the last, June 8th, the last day of the hunt, we were sitting uh, basically on a snowbank or behind a snowbank hunting a salt lick. So it was, uh, it was still pretty dang cold. I think I lost, jeez, at least seven, eight pounds or something, over that hunt. Just because you're going all day long, you're not really hanging around camp eating. You know, we weren't, we weren't most time weren't even going back to camp for lunch or anything. It was get up early, eat a snack when you get where you're going, or when you're hiking, and then, uh, you know, get back late at night. Sometimes we're just too dang tired. We will just eat some ramen or something for dinner and crash and do it over again. So. Props to my daughter. She's uh, 22 years old. She's been out doing this kind of stuff her whole life. She never complained. She froze her butt off. Worked hard. Um, she can out hike, you know, pretty much any guys I've ever taken out. You know, guided hunts or whatever. And uh, she kept good spirits. And we actually had a good time. It was. I told her, and I mean it, 100. percent I'd rather hunt with her than just about any any hunting partner I've ever had in my life. She's super easy to get along with. We've always got something to talk about. Um, good attitude, you know, even when things are grim, you know, can, can make a sense of humor, uh, comes out even, even when things are rough, but, um, it was, it was a great hunt, but not a single bison was seen. Um, and so the maybe future podcast is the truth about bison hunting up on the North Rim. And there's a lot more to it than what I just said there, but let's just suffice to say that there's a lot of shenanigans going on with the outfitters working up there. Things like parking in the middle of the roads, uh, dropping trees across roads, um, kind of intimidating hunters and stuff like that. And I kind of knew about some of that stuff from my previous experiences up there. So this time I was like, "Look, we're just going to camp out. We're gonna we're gonna pretend like we're the only ones hunting up here. We'll be cordial to anybody we see, but we're not going to get involved in any of the any of the drama." And that's what exactly what we did. Talked to a couple people on the road um, that we'd meet. Um, other than that, we just had our own hunt and it was great. And I know some people are, you know, afraid Oh, you know, I don't want to go do it because you know, if you don't have an outfitter, it'll never work. That's just a bunch of BS. Pretend if you want to do a DIY hunt on the bison up on the North Rim, you know, we just had a really bad year. Usually by June, they're coming out of the park and you're going to get one. It was just a bad year to have a tag because of all that snow, but you can have a great hunt and, uh, not get involved in any of that drama. Um, and so I recommend it. It's a beautiful time to be out there. Oh yeah, turkeys, saw a bunch of turkeys and stuff like that. So it's just a great time to be, be up on the North Rim of the Grand Canyon as spring is hit. And it's just, this year was pretty dang rough. It was, it looked more like Alaska. So, so anyhow, that's, that's, uh, that occupied, you know, sort of the end of May and the beginning of June. And then it was up to Colorado for my daughter's wedding. We went up there early to help get things ready. And then after the wedding, um, we went up to Wyoming to visit with some guys that we sold llamas to, um, the 307 Llama Company, Austin and Anthony, uh, up there in Encampment, Wyoming, uh, near Saratoga, Wyoming. And uh, they, you know, they just invited us to come up there and said, hey, we'd like you guys to come up and see our operation and all that. And so we did. And, man, they took such great care of us. Now, keep in mind, these guys work for a resort, uh, which is called Brush, Brush Creek Ranch that is a is high dollar of a dude ranch you'll ever get it's a working cattle ranch up there but the people like the trump family and elon musk and carrie underwood and people like that stay at this place and um they started their llama company separate from that but they they um do guided trips for the for the um resort as well but they're doing their own stuff um they'll be doing fishing trips they are doing fishing trips fly fishing trips pack trips all kinds of other stuff with llamas they live in a beautiful place the perfect place to have a pack llama business the continental divide trails right behind where they live um it was it was a really good time they put us up in a in a cabin that was uh, basically a replica of a forest old forest service ranger station um, took, us, uh, took us to the resort and gave us some mountain bikes there. We rode around at the resort on the mountain bikes. Um, went rock climbing up in the mountains uh, on a pretty cool place. Um, went up to their private ski area that has no lifts. It only takes 16 people a day, and they ride up to the top in snowcats, and they have these big yurts that you know they have chefs in and stuff like this. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. So we got to see their plans for their future operations. And, um, oh, we did a float trip on the river, did some fishing, caught some really nice trout fly fishing, thanks to Austin, the river guide and his, uh, and his uh, drift boat. Um, so that was, that was super cool. So it was like the closest thing we've had to fancy vacation fancy for us in years, you know, having somebody, you know, uh, taking us out to do stuff usually we're doing the other thing you know taking other people out and making sure they're having a good time so it was fantastic just a, just a few days uh, also great food the little restaurant was a bear trap restaurant in encampment um had just amazing burgers and it's just a cool kind of bar restaurant and uh, we went there a couple times and and so uh, so then after that we we headed home you know drove home from Colorado or from Wyoming and headed home and then it was Back to the stuff at the Llama Ranch, one unfortunate thing that happened was while we are literally the night before my daughter's wedding, we got a call from the girl that was taking care of our llamas that one of our females had a miscarriage of twins. And uh, that's just rough. You know, you, it, it's, it's, it's like Christmas, as I said before. You know, the gestation period is um, a year. And so you get so excited, you know, and she wasn't due until, I think, September and she was just she was really big and we kept saying man she's she's too big for you know how far along she is well it turns out she was carrying twins and and llamas almost never have twins or if they do they usually die and so that's what happened she was carrying twins and so it was just too much for her and so she she had a miscarriage so that was a bit of stress but i called my my buddy who's kind of a retired vet used to be our llama vet and asked him and he says he goes look there's nothing that's going to happen in the next 24 hours that you have to come home for enjoy your daughter's wedding and then um you know you can worry about that later and and fortunately the girl and her mom you know they're they have horses and stuff and they they kind of been through this kind of thing before and so they they kept an eye on stuff and eventually she passed the placenta and so on and so forth so everything was good so we went ahead and went to Wyoming and met up with those boys and and um had a, had a nice vacation, but it's still tough, you know, losing another offspring that we were planning on having this fall. So, um, so that was kind of a bummer, but, um, you know, that got us basically to the end of June. And, um, then July here just has been hot as heck. So usually Arizona's super hot in June, hot, dry, and windy. Um, but this year, May and June were very cool, really nice. And then July came on, and I think we've had, today's August 1st, I think we've had 10 or 15 days at least of over 100-degree temperatures here where I live, which is really uncommon in this part of central Arizona at this elevation. So it's been pretty hot, which kind of shuts you down so you don't feel like doing too much. Um, But we did kind of bought ourselves our retirement present. We bought a uh, mountain bike tandem uh Ventana El Conquistador de Montañas um really nice full suspension tandem mountain bike 27.5 plus tires um and it is a beast and so we've been riding that you know trying to get up early enough in the morning before it gets hot and um surprisingly the thing can actually do single track I thought this long wheelbase it's going to be hard to get around corners and stuff and it is a little bit but we did successfully navigated some pretty tight switchbacks um and um have done, you know, some 20, 30 mile rides on it. I'll tell you on tandem bikes, when you go uphill, they feel heavy. When you go downhill, they feel like a dragster. Um, There's no, no gear small enough going uphill and no gear big enough going downhill. So you get, you get quite the workout riding this thing. Plus with the fat tires and just being a heavy mountain bike, it's, it's a lot more work than riding a single bike, but it's fun. Janice and I have ridden tandems for a long time and and we get along real well and, and, uh, they call them divorce, divorce cycles because so many couples have problems when they start riding a tandem, but we get along, we get along great. And she's, uh, the person in the back is the stoker and the person in front's the captain. And she's a great stoker. She just hammers along. It's like having an e-bike back there. So that's been occupying some of our time, um, getting, getting out and doing that kind of stuff. And, um, but now the monsoon finally started, it started a little bit late, and so now it's time for me to start doing some scouting and uh, getting getting psyched for archery deer hunting. I'm kind of a seasonal guy, you know, I i got I have a lot of hobbies, you know, rock, I've been doing some rock climbing, that's another thing I've been doing, and, and uh, I ride dirt bikes, I actually just bought a KTM 990 Adventure, um, big adventure bike, I've had a couple of them in the past, but I thought, you know. I'm not doing as much single track riding and stuff as I used to, but I still love riding motorcycles. And on these, these big adventure bikes, you can do long trips and stuff like that. And I got a fantastic deal. It's a used 2007, but it's really good shape. And I got a really good deal on it. And, um, so it was kind of a no brainer. So I'm just kind of getting that thing set up to do some longer trips and we'll see, see what comes of that here before uh, winter shows up. But like I say, I'm pretty seasonal. So I do these other things, you know, in the wintertime, I do a lot of uh, meteorite hunting and gold prospecting besides you know bow hunting and, and that kind of stuff and then in the summertime it's usually fishing and getting up you know hiking in the mountains and bike riding and stuff like that so but now monsoon started and it's getting green out there and archery deer is just around the corner so i uh i'm getting ready for that i did a uh, just a Death March like a couple days ago. Um, there's a, a wilderness area here that I've hunted a lot. And over the years, I've found, you know, other people's tree stands and blinds and stuff like that. And I usually try to clean that stuff up if it's been abandoned. The abandoned blinds are, are really an eyesore. You know, they degrade in the sun and stuff. And so I had found, a couple years ago, I would found these abandoned tree stands. And I decided, you know what, I'm gonna go pack those tree stands out. Now the problem is that there one of them was in a tree that was dead and was about to fall over when I found it, first found it two years ago. So obviously nobody'd used that tree stand in years because you would you wouldn't climb up that tree. <laughs> it was sketchy. Um, the other one had been up there so long that the tree had grown and snapped the straps that were holding the the climbing sticks on it. And so they were kind of hanging there, but were, the tree was growing into the, into the climbing sticks and stuff, but there was really not much support. And so, again, it had obviously been there for a long time, and nobody had climbed up there because a couple of the climbing sticks had fallen off the tree and stuff. So I thought, well, yeah, they're abandoned. I'm going to go tear them down, clean that crap up. Well, it turns out I picked one of the hottest days. It was 98 degrees when I parked my truck, and then I had to ride my quad in a ways and then hike in several miles to these tree stands and um you know I knew I was in for trouble but um got to the first one and um d- the tree had fallen over <laughs> and the stand was on the ground I didn't get didn't get beat up too much but um I got was able to get it off the 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 dead tree and I was just going to pack it out and I thought you know this is still a pretty good spot so I spent probably an hour and a half trying to find another suitable tree and uh, rehung it. And I'll, I'll say this now, and I'll probably talk more about it later, but if you're hanging a tree stand, pay attention to the wind, okay? It's not that hard to do. In Arizona, the wind comes from the southwest generally, sometimes the south, sometimes the west, but generally the southwest. If where you expect the deer to be coming from or going is, you know, downwind of where you're putting your tree stand, move it. And, and it just drives me nuts that people put these tree stands upwind of where the deer are obviously coming through. Or, you know, if you're sitting in a water hole, don't put it on the South side or the West side or the Southwest side of the water hole. Cause the, the, the wind's going to blow right onto the water hole. So anything that comes in there is going to smell you. You got to put it on the North side or the Northeast side, or at least the East side, you know, you can get perpendicular to the, to the wind. That's fine. You're always going to be blowing something, but what you don't want is for your for your scent to be blowing right to where you expect the animals to be when you're going to shoot at them or when you're going to see them coming. So, I spend a lot of time walking around, checking trees, checking sight lines, shooting lanes. You know, making sure there's going to be shade. What if the tree is leaning in the wrong direction? And one critical thing is if they have ants in the tree, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and so, I finally found this juniper tree that. Wasn't very big, but it was in the best spot. It's only about 15, 16 yards from there's a there's an old salt lick there. It's mostly cattle hitting it and stuff, but there was a bunch of whitetail tracks. Found a, i found a whitetail shed in the salt lick, which was kind of cool. Um cleaned everything up and hung that tree stand. Now it's hung there with using an old sun rotted strap right now. So before I ever climb up there, I'll have to uh put some new straps on it so it's not deadly. And it's not the best stand. I learned from uh, Jim Holt Jr. up at uh, classic whitetail outfitters in Alberta. He'll he'll say, Great spot, bad tree. <laughs> and this is one of those ones. It's it'll be uncomfortable to sit there, but it's in it's in the perfect spot. And that's more important than being comfortable. You know, you being comfortable will allow you to sit all day, but but you have to be in a spot where the wind is gonna be right. You're gonna have, you know, a, a good shooting lane through the trees or whatever. And uh, so you just sometimes got to sit and be uncomfortable for a while. So I spent a bunch of time doing that, and it was just hot as heck. And so I'm going through my water pretty fast. I had three and a half liters of water, and I drank 40 ounces on my way driving in. So, I, you know, I was taking hydration pretty seriously. But by the time I got done hanging that stand, I was like, man, I, don't, I bet I don't even have a liter of water left, you know. And I still had to hike another mile and a half to get to the next stand and then I had to tear it down and then pack it out so I was like well I'm just gonna do my best and I, I'd hope that a monsoon storm would come in and it would get cloudy and cool off but man it was hot and dead still and the spot I was at usually it's super windy it's near a big canyon you know and and I was like you got to be kidding me that it's so hot I'm sure it was over 100 degrees even though I was at probably I don't know 6,000 feet elevation and so I just kind of took my time and I did a ton of trail work. There is an old trail that kind of goes into where I was going. And I knew I was going to be packing the stand out plus the climbing sticks that were, you know, there. And it's a really big, wide, old, you know, steel tree stand. I, was, I knew it was going to be heavy and un- uncomfortable to carry. But I was like, well, uh, I'll just do a bunch of trail work. And so that when I'm hiking out, I'm not fighting it so bad. And so I was moving rocks and cutting I brought a saw so I could cut branches that you know were dead trees across the trail and did everything I could to make the hike out better I'm sure glad I did because it, it mattered so that that ended up taking a lot of time and energy so by the time I got to that that other tree stand it was four thirty in the afternoon and I was basically out of water and I was like three miles or so from the trailhead at this point so um I had I'd seen this stand a couple years ago, and I knew that the, the the steps or the sticks were not usable. So I brought some screw-in steps and I brought some straps. But I was actually able to um, use the straps that I had to kind of half-ass strap the the legs that had or the the steps that had fallen off of it. So I didn't have to use the screw-in steps, and um, was able to climb up. I had to cut the strap. It had a big old two-inch like seatbelt strap that was holding the tree stand on. I had to cut it with a knife while I'm hanging on to these, these wobbly climbing sticks. Um, because it was, it was like it was gonna kill the tree. The tree had it so tight it was like a steel cable because the tree had been growing around this thing. So I cut that off, the tree falls to the ground, and I am absolutely covered with black ants. And some trees are just what we call ant trees. And the black ants live in those trees. And this tree was covered with those things. And so while I'm trying to hang on, and this it's way high. It's like 20-plus feet up in this tree. It's a really high tree stand. And so I'm I'm just getting eaten by these ants. And I'm totally soaked with sweat and trying not to fall and die (laughs) off of this thing. So now I'm trying to climb down these sketchy steps. There's like several segments that have been put together to get up to where the tree stand was and I got to start taking um the straps that are the straps are broken that were on there but they're like welded into the bark of the tree because think thing had been there so long so I'm trying to knock them off the tree and then eventually I got down I, I had only had two straps myself so I took one of my straps off and now it's really wobbling around I'm trying not to fall off and break a leg finally got down got the whole thing down and for the rest of the afternoon i was fighting ants they were they were coming out of my clothes my hair my hat my shirt then they were coming out of the tree stand they were in all the tubes in the tree stand and stuff like that and so i i tied all the the legs together or the sticks together strapped the this tree stand it must be that's probably close to 3 feet wide it's a big old like i said steel tree stand so i strapped it to my pack and strapped the legs onto that and they're sticking up in the air and sticking down below the pack and started slogging out of there with about a cup of water left in my camelback. I was like, I'm just going to save this for when I really need it on the way out, you know? So I, uh, I just kind of plodded along. Um, when I got home, I weighed my pack, of course, with no water in it. Now it was, uh, it was 55 pounds, which isn't a terribly heavy pack, but when you've been dehydrated all day long and I didn't eat most of the day because I didn't have any water and I didn't want to be using water to digest food. So by the time I was getting back to where I had parked my quad, I was pretty bonked and and uh, and just dying. And um, I drank the last last couple swallows of my water before the last pull to the to the trailhead. And it was uphill and just so, totally overgrown. There's really not even a trail there. And so at, at points I was reduced to crawling through the brush with this tree stand on my back, you know, just trying to get through you know, tunnels that were about the right size for javelina or something like that. Just doing battle. And, uh, I got back to the the quad and still had like an hour ride back on a crappy road to get back to my truck and where I had some water and stuff. So, so it was a good way to start uh, getting ready for archery deer season. Um, got, I mean, it took me two days to get rehydrated. Um, it was crazy. I was, I was pissing log cabin syrup after that one, um, but um, it's always, it's always good to do hard things, you know, and so uh, I got home the next day, there were still ants coming out of that tree stand, (laughs) I sprayed Raid into all the tubes and stuff, and um, I'll probably end up giving it to my, my buddy down in in southern Arizona to put on some of his spots down there, because I don't, I don't need any tree stands up here, I'm, I'm honestly just basically cleaning up the, the wilderness area from the stuff that people are leaving out there, and I don't mind doing it, but, um, it is, it is a lot of work sometime. So that was, that was my introduction to getting ready for archery deer hunting was just about killing myself. And I, I mean, I, I've been hiking and hunting and doing everything in Arizona my whole life. And I told this buddy of mine about it, a guy I took out, he's hunt last year. Who's, you know, he's a, a serious hunter and well, Josh, who I actually had on, on here. And he goes, man, he goes, I would have died. Cause you're like a freaking camel. He goes, I can't believe you were hurting that bad. I'm like, yeah, you would have died. <laughs> so, uh, you know, three and a half liters of water and 40 ounces on the way there. But when it's that hot and you're working that hard, there's, that's just not enough water. You know, and I actually, I seriously thought I could dump my pack because I always carry a, uh, a little Sawyer Squeeze water filter bag and filter. I could hike down into one of these canyons, find some water and pump a bunch of water and just sit there and drink water and get rehydrated then hike back up you know, and get my trees stand to get out of here. But I'm pretty good about knowing my my limits. And I was like, nah, I can I can make it out of here. I'm just gonna have to really pace myself so I'm not overheating and, and making the water situation worse worse. And I did fine. But um but that was one of the worst my worst experiences getting dehydrated and uh in here in Arizona and then just not eating all day. I think all I ate was a bagel with cream cheese on it that I had made in a Ziploc bag. I ate it like at noon or something. And so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a good one. So now with that story out out of the way, it's time to start thinking about where I'm going to hunt. And so I've got, I've got some choices. I used to hunt some spots. I've talked about the giant deer that ruined my life. Um, in the past because um, I had him on trail camera and, and all that and hunted him for six years and never killed him I still have some spots to hunt there I haven't run trail cameras there in a couple of years because trail cameras are, are banned but for the years before that I just haven't been seeing any really decent box and just not that many deer the area is just not what it once was partly due to other hunters getting in there and partly due to um, mountain lions. There's there's just a lot of lions in there, and the people aren't hunting them there anymore. Um, I have photos. I may have mentioned this before, but I have photos of a on a trail camera from I don't know 2012 or something like that of a lion actually biting the neck of a fawn right in front of my camera, and um, I think I, pro- I probably posted that one on my Instagram, Close Range Hunter Instagram. Um, there's just a lot of lions and when I was running trail cameras I always got pictures of lions up there and 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 bears too um so I think that's part of the issue so it's just as much as I love hunting there and I got a history there I started hunting that in 1992 or something like that and I have not successfully taken a deer out of there myself I've helped other people get them And I was like, you know, if I haven't killed one there in 30 years and the deer population's down, I'm probably not going to go back there again. (laughs) But it's hard for me to give up on it. But I did. This year, I'm just not going to do it. Um, I got another spot in another wilderness area that I tried to hunt two years ago and um, just got dumped on rain opening day after it had been just dry all summer. And so... um, and that was when I blew my knee out too. So, but I did shoot a mountain lion that year So that, or that first opening weekend. So that kind of made up for it. But I might go check that spot out. I might, um, might do some bear hunting there. It's actually a better bear hunting spot than a deer hunting spot. But um, just another tree stand. This one's on a spring. And then, um, you know, the spot that I just moved that tree stand that I was going to pack out, that's a pretty good spot, you know. It's it's an old salt lick. I, I doubt that anybody's put any salt in there unless a rancher did it. Um, you know, there's probably not been anybody there for five or six years, anyhow. Um, at least just from you know the, the tree that that stand had been was just rotted and like I said, it fell over on its own. <laughs> like I figured it probably would. So, um, there but there's still quite a bit of deer sign. I found that shed there. It was not a big shed, little little three point, but um might go check that spot out again um, it might be worth sitting in there it's just such a it's a it's a long trip to get in there you know between driving a long ways and riding a quad a long ways and hiking in quite a ways um two miles or so to get to it it's kind of a long trip so we'll we'll see about that but it it's it's kind of encouraging um and my other options going down southern arizona where i was last year and and uh had a chance at a giant buck problem with that spot is it is quite sketchy with the uh, drug runners and stuff. And I don't care what anybody says when they say, oh, I've never had a problem. Well, you probably haven't been hiking on the trail that they're hiking on every day and have an opportunity to run face-to-face with them, right? <laughs> so um, that's what's kind of sketchy about that. But I probably will try to go down there and hunt with my buddy down there, at least some, some part during the hunt, because it's just, it's just too good. Um, but it is, it is kind of rough. Just it's just stressful. So, you're not having a relaxing hunt, you're kind of worried about your truck getting broken into or your camp getting broken into and and um running into people on the trail or whatever. And there's a lot of trash, um, but that's why it's good. Nobody else hunts there because it's it's sketchy, um, and it's kind of hard to get to. So, um, but you know, all, all I'm talking about is stand hunting because you know, this time of year, that's the most effective method and it's my least favorite way of hunting but it does it, it does work um you know your you really your options are sitting a tree stand or a ground blind on water or a salt lick or a trail or something like that and I'm a deer hunter i mean i would hunt mule deer or shoot mule deer if i if i put the time in know where there were some nice bucks you know and um but i it's just I've got so much invested in these Q's deer, I, you know. Why, why change until I, until I finally get a, a good one with my bow? So that's kind of kind of why I'm biased towards hunting Q's deer. But um, that's the best way to get one this time of year: sit in a stand, you know. And you you could be hunting them down in the desert in the more open country, spotting stock, but you'll die from the heat. And um, I've done it; I didn't die, but I thought I was gonna before. Um, That's one way to go about it, but it's, it's, um, they're, they're tough days and you know, the animals aren't moving around all day. You know, you get a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening. The rest of the day is you're just sweating your butt off, you know, hiding out in the shade someplace, you know, maybe doing some glassing, but it's pretty rough. Um, you can, you know, still hunt, um, you know, up in the, in the higher country, you know, and I think that's, that's actually a good way to hunt the mule deer, I've, you know, back in when I first started bow hunting before I got into hunting Cues deer, I was always, you know, running into mule deer out just out in the forest and if you look at, you know, I'd, my last podcast was on the um <clears throat> excuse me the the last year's archery deer, you know, quotas and um the units that closed up were almost all northern Arizona mule deer hunts or any antler deer, which is basically mule deer hunts up here in northern Arizona and a lot of those people they're road hunting, technically illegal. Um, sometimes spot stock hunting, but usually you can't do that because you're in the forest. Um, a lot of it is just still hunting, you know. And, you know, some people are sitting blinds in, in water holes and stuff like that. But I think still hunting for mule deer during this August-September season is much more effective than still hunting for coos deer. And whether you like it or not, coos deer are just more nervous, harder to spot. They're just harder to hunt um, on the ground than mule deer are. And I've, I've shot mule deer with my bow on the ground. I've shot mule deer with a rifle too. And, um, I, I have experience with both and I have a lot more experience with the coos deer. And I can tell you that it's, it's pretty rough. Um, trying to spot and stock hunt them or, or still hunt them, especially because they're just so wary, but it, but it is doable, you know? So, you know, hunting a, hunting a blinder tree stand this time of year is probably your most effective way to do it. Um, Now, come December, January, totally different story. All of a sudden, spot stock hunting is much more possible. You can hunt in the lower elevations where there's more open country, so they're easier to glass up. The deer are more active during the day. They're usually more active because it's the rut. They're acting stupider because it's the rut, or at least the rut is coming. And so everything switches. So for me, during this early season, August, September season, I'm thinking about sitting somewhere where it's... Not quite so hot sometimes it's still pretty hot it's Arizona um, but places that you really can't hunt by other methods well you might if, if you want to go hunt this is the best way to do it And you know sitting water is really your best bet in my opinion because you know everything has to come to water and and it's not necessarily that sitting water is better than say sitting a, a good trail or, a salt lake or something like that. It's just, when you sit water, you see something all day, you see birds coming in, you'll see elk coming in, you'll see mountain lions. I've had mountain lions and bears come in. Um, there's just more going on at, at the water holes. And so it's easier to sit all day. So I, I personally prefer to sit water if I can. Um, and people say, Oh, it's raining. They're never going to come in. Well, if it has been raining and there's puddles around, yeah, they'll hit those puddles, but they're habitual. They'll, they'll keep coming back to the same water holes as long as they're not getting spooked off of them, right? So um, the, I, I think sitting water is your best bet, but of course there's limited amounts of water. Um, you never know if somebody else is going to be there. Used to be every water source had a bunch of trail cameras on it, and so you kind of knew somebody else was watching it. Now the trail cameras aren't there, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be somebody else hunting there. And as I've said in previous podcasts, be nice. You know, if, if you get there first, well, you got dibs. If you get there second, and this has happened before in one of my really good spots, got there, some guy just, I mean, I saw him walking in in the dark. I'm like, oh, well, he got there first. I didn't even say anything. I just turned and walked the other way and went and hunted somewhere else. Um, that was the same day I thought, you know, I know where that guy's sitting in a tree and he's going to be cooking in the sun by about 10 in the morning. So I'm going to go check and see if he's gotten out of that tree. And no kidding, I show up and the guy had just left. And so I said, well, all right, I'll go sit in my blind in the shade. And, um, that was when I had a mountain lion come in, basically come into the blind right in my face. Like I could have kicked it right in the chin. Um, and I found that guy, I might have told the story before, but I found that guy at his camp when I left and I said, Hey man, you know, I sat that tank after you left and and um lion came in he goes no kidding he goes i had a female and a and a kitten come in while i was sitting there in the morning too so that's in the spot i said the hunting's not so good anymore because there's a lot of lions in there but but anyhow um you, you got to sit all day if you're sitting water coos deer especially they're coming in all day long and i've seen elk come in at 1 30 in the afternoon they get hot and thirsty sometimes they come rolling in you know so when you sit someplace where there's something else to watch, it sure makes sitting all day better. Man, there's nothing worse than sitting in a tree stand, on a trail or on a salt lake or something where you can't see more than forty yards. You know, you got no horizon. You're just sitting in the forest somewhere, and it's so boring. And you just sit there all day long. You know, play a lot of games of solitaire on the phone, and and um, you know, read little paperback books. I try to. Uh, I don't read magazines so much because they're bigger they're shinier and the pages make noise when you turn them and the and so with a paperback book you can kind of put it in your lap between your legs and you can you can turn the pages real carefully if something comes in you can just let go of it and just leave it right there in your lap it doesn't make any noise these are pro tips here by the way (laughs) Um, and so I also have a little um, fleece it's kind of like a pocket or almost like a little fanny pack it's got a belt but a little pocket it's actually a possibles bag for muzzleloader hunting but it's fleece and so I hang that on the tree stand and I can just drop stuff into the, you know, underneath my my seat and I can drop stuff into that um, quietly if I need to, or fish stuff out of it quietly if I need to. Um, and so you're not getting in and out of your pack and making a bunch of noise and moving around a lot. It's just always just right there. So I can just drop that in there or, you know, put it just, you know, keep my snacks in it or whatever. Um, I hang my, hang my pack with my camelback in the tree so i have the hose right at my shoulder i put i'll put a a hook or something in the tree behind me over my shoulder on the side that i'm not shooting towards because i don't want anything on I'm right-handed shooters so on anything on my left side that's going to interfere with anything i just have my bow hanging there and then on my right side is where all my stuff goes and i'll have always have my camel back there so i can just turn my head and get a drink out of it during the day and then my food bag like because i i'm all about snacks if you've followed my instagram or anything you'll see my pictures i post of my snacks i just i don't eat a lot but i eat constantly m ms you know and skittles or whatever and as long as you got the wind good you should be good but you got to be kind of careful about what you eat skittles are kind of smelly but um i'll have those already open you know ready easy to get to so i don't have to move around or a lot and make a lot of noise and um i just sit all day you know um sitting salt is something that we figured out probably in the early 90s just by watching deer you know like oh those deer going to that salt lick and now you know it's real common practice to go sit salt and there's salt everywhere out in the forest so it's a lot less effective than it used to be because so many people are putting salt out so you can get all excited and go oh i got this salt lick but those deer got a lot of other choices to go to so it's it's not it's no kind of guarantee that, oh, like it, it honestly was back back in the early 90s and stuff. It You kind of felt bad for these deer sometimes. It looked like they were hooked on coke, you know. They'd come rolling in, and they just couldn't stop eating the salt. But as I've seen this become more popular, um, there's, I mean, it's amazing. I'll walk through the woods in places, and I'll just randomly find salt licks with tree stands. It used to be there were cameras on them, and um, I'll find three or four a day just wandering through the woods. It's amazing how much people have put out there. So that, that salt idea can still work, but it's not as good as it once was. And, you know, you can put salt on a water hole, which, you know, then you're, then you're kind of getting the double, double effect there. The problem is you're going to have cattle pounding the heck out of it. If there's any cattle in there. And that's the other problem with just salt looks in general, cattle like salt too. And so they're going to, they're going to be coming in and that can kind of mess things up. But, um, you know, and then the other thing is sitting trails. And here's a, you know, just a secret pro tip for those of you who don't know already, it's not that secret anymore Is animals like to go through saddles, you know? So if you wanna sit on a trail, sit in a saddle. There's gonna be a trail coming, especially if it's a saddle between a north facing slope and a south facing slope. I'm giving away too many secrets here, but um, the animals will bed on the north facing slope, go over to the south facing slope, you know, in the morning, you know, they'll be feeding over there bed in the cool shade of north-facing slope, saddle between a north-facing slope and a south-facing slope. There's always going to be game trails through those things. And you would be shocked how much stuff walks through those saddles. So those are always good places to sit, you know, if you just want to. And you can just sit there for a few hours during the day. And like I say, kids deer especially move around all day long. Believe it or not, bears will move. If they've got enough cover, they'll move. They love going to water in the middle of the day. Um, they, if there's if there's running water or pools of water in the bottom of a canyon, they'll be in that stuff, taking baths and whatnot in the middle of the day. So they're they are moving around some. Um, they're not going to be out usually an open you know sunny slope during the middle of the day. But if there's tree cover and stuff, they'll move around. They'll go through those saddles. So, um, you know, when you kill something out of a saddle, remember you you, you heard it from me. Um, that's a that's a good good place to sit. So really your, your choices are spot stock, which is tough this time of year because of the open country and the hot temperatures are not as huntable. Um, and then sitting in tree stands or blinds. I, I like blinds better than tree stands because you can move around a little more. They contain your scent. It's just more comfortable. You can sit in a chair, you can have all your stuff spread out in the blind, but you better plan ahead, get your blind set up well ahead of time, make sure it's well staked to the ground, doesn't blow away. I found blowing away blinds all the time um, and give the animals some time to get used to it. Um, they are for a traditional hunter like me who shoots a 64 inch longbow, they can be problematic. I missed a shot at a turkey once cause my upper limb hit the top of the blind. Um, but that I find blinds to be much more comfortable um, to, to hunt but honestly tree stands are probably more effective just because if you put it in the right tree and in, in the in the rights in the right place relative to the wind and and your wherever your area you think these deer are coming from are going to be at when you're shooting them um, and you get it high enough um you you can really get a good good shot um, i have a tree stand I'm honestly kind of afraid to go take it down. It's gonna be one of these abandoned ones. It's been there for quite a few years. It must be 30 feet up in this tree. And I don't know what I was thinking when I put it there, except well, I needed to be up there because I wanted to be where there was some shade. And so I climbed up until there was a good branch above me and and that's where the tree stand was. But it's like a 45 degree angle shot down to the ground um, out of that one. And I have missed a shot at a deer out of that tree stand before. Probably just because the deer jumped the string, but that's my excuse anyway. Um but anyhow, um I like to have tree stands, you know, fifteen to eighteen feet high. When you get over twenty feet, that's getting up there a ways and you're getting steep shot angles and stuff. But um uh, the one I just moved, it's um it's probably only about twelve feet to the from the bottom of the tree to the to the bottom of the platform that you'd stand on but it's an on a slope so you probably got another four feet of slope up to there so it's like 16 feet high it doesn't look that high when you when you're standing at the tree but between where the salt Lake is and the trails are and that and that tree it's it's probably about 16 feet which yeah that's that's pretty good you know 15 to 18 feet i think is pretty good oh my dog's having a little fit over there she starts barking um she always hears the deer. I have a pond right outside. I'm in my living room. I have a pond outside the living room window. I got a little waterfall going out there. That was one of the things I did this summer was build a waterfall on it, but I get deer coming in in the middle of the night and the dog barks at them. So that might be what's going on here. Um, but anyhow, um, if you're right-handed shooter, make sure your left side is pointing where you're going to be shooting. This is another thing I, I'll see people put up tree stands. And I'm like, well, you can't shoot out of that one. You're going to have to turn around. Um, if you're a left-handed shooter, you'd want your right side pointing towards the, where you're going to shoot. Because obviously if I'm a right-handed shooter, I'm holding the bow in my left hand, right? So I'm going to be shooting my left. So I will position the tree stand perpendicular to the direction I think I'm going to be shooting. I want to be shooting off to my left. Maybe not perfectly perpendicular, but at least a 45-degree angle. Um I'm going to clear all the branches that are above that I might hit a limb on, all the branches below that I might hit a limb on. Here's another pro tip. Rub all the loose bark off the tree because at the most inopportune moment, you're going to be reaching for your bow, your sleeve's going to catch on some bark on the tree, it's going to knock that bark off and the if it's a coos deer, it's gone. They're not going to tolerate any noise like that. So, rub all that bark off the tree um, the, the loose, the loose bark that's on the tree, rub that stuff down, you know, you don't have to strip the tree or anything. Um, and then make sure you've got some background cover. You know, you want to try to have a place where you've got shade above your head, you've got some branches below your feet. So you're framed above and below. So if something looks up, you're not just sitting out there like a light bulb. There's something above you that's shading you and it's breaking up your outline. And then hopefully behind you as well, you're going to have a branch or something. And I recently bought some of this um, camo f- cloth stuff. That's uh, It's like camouflage material, but it's got all the little holes cut in it so the air will go through it and stuff. And it's really lightweight and very packable. And I have used just um, like um, netting, camouflage netting before, but it doesn't work as well. So I tried this stuff where it's, like I say, it's like camouflage material, but then it's cut with a pattern that makes lots of holes in it, you know, almost big enough to stick your hand through. And then there's like little strings that kind of connect them. You can get it off of eBay or Amazon or whatever and um, hang that stuff behind you. If they're, you know, if you're, if, if, they can look through the branches of the tree and there's a lot of light from behind you, because if you're moving up there, and your arms moving around or you're turning your head or something like that. And the background from the, from the angle of the deer is sky you're really going to show up so you just want to put something up there to break, break that background up and it also will give you a little bit of shade here's another pro tip if you can with the way the situation is try to put your tree stand on the north side of a tree so you'll get shade most of the day of course the sun comes up in the east goes down in the west so you're gonna get a little sun in the morning you're get a little sun in the afternoon and in, in, in the early season it actually rises a little bit north of east and sets a little bit north of west so you're always going to get some in the morning and some in the evening, but most of the day, that tree that you're sitting is going to is going to shade you. Now, I, I said, don't put your stand on the south side of a water hole or whatever. So what I'm saying is, if you're on the let's say you're on the east side of the waterhole where the wind's usually you know, going away from the waterhole. You can be on the north side of the tree if you're a right handed shooter shooting off your left side back towards the waterhole and you'll get you'll get shade most of the day another thing that i uh came on to a couple years ago are they, they make these umbrellas that are kind of half umbrellas that you can put over your head they have like they have these funky little hooks that you put into the tree and they hang on those they don't the hooks don't work that well but um they're they're cut out so they can kind of fit around the trunk of the tree now of course most of the trees here aren't perfectly straight and stuff but those umbrellas do help both with the background cover and they ho- help with um, some shade during the day. And um, they, I, they're, they're well worth it. They're, they're pretty lightweight to carry. And, and um, you, can, you can use them just for background cover or you can use them for shade and they collapse down real nice. Um, so another, another tip here is before you put your tree stand up, go to where you're going to be shooting. So you got a trail, you've got a salt lake, you've got the water hole, where you think the animals are going to be, look at the tree. Look at all the trees. Spend an hour, hour and a half, two hours, picking the perfect tree and the perfect spot in the perfect tree. Don't go, oh, here's a good spot, I'm going to throw up a tree stand. Then you're just wasting no time. You're going to be sitting there all day long waiting for that deer to come in, but the wind is wrong, you know, you don't have good background cover, you're going to be hot during the day because you don't have enough shade take as much time as you can. And if you have to pick a bad tree to be in a good spot, pick the bad tree. <laughs> Again, Jim Holt Jr. Classic whitetails up in Alberta kills giant whitetails all the time. These guys, there's, I think there's a YouTube video. I can't remember. There's a video of his brother, um, talking about all the pains they go through hunting these whitetails, out of these tree stands. And I hunted up there with them in Alberta and it's just ridiculous how particular these guys are about their tree stands. But, he has more experience. I think he owns 50 non-resident tags for the Alberta Bozone. Um, so the outfitters own those tags. And so he is running tons of hunters through there year after, year after year after year after year. I mean, I hunted up there in 1997, and he's still running it. He knows what he's talking about. He goes, you, you pick a bad tree over a good tree in a bad spot. You pick a bad tree in a good spot. And he had always put me in the bad trees. I go, oh, that's a good spot bad tree (laughs) you know and these they're hunting these little poplar trees which are just they're like skinny cottonwoods you know softwood trees and that you're up in these trees and you move around the trees weaving back and forth if you if you're prone to motion sickness you get seasick in these things you know and they don't even leave the tree stands in the trees they just have a bolt in the tree so he drops you off on a road in the dark hours before daylight tells you walk whatever 50 paces in that direction look to your left you'll see this whatever there's the tree climb the tree hang your stand sit in your tree don't make any noise and so you have these little stands that you just hang on a single bolt and you get up there you hang it on a bolt there's a hook for your bow and you don't move for the rest of the day just freeze your butt off (laughs) it was brutal i was up there at thanksgiving time um so go to the spot where the deer are going to be Look at the trees from there because you might think, well, I'll climb up in the tree and see if I'll have a shot. No, you don't have to climb up in the tree, go to where the deer are and then look in the tree and go, Oh, I need to put the tree stand there because that's where I'm going to have a clear shot over these other trees or through those other branches or whatever. If you go up in the tree and you go, Oh wait, I can't see it from here. There's a branch in that other tree. Well, you just wasted climbing up in the tree and however you got up there, you know, if you put steps in or whatever you did, so then what are you going to do? Well, I'll just go cut the branches of that tree. Well, then you got to go cut a, climb up another tree, and you shouldn't be cutting a bunch of branches off of trees anyway. So go to the spot, stand around, walk around, look for the tracks where the deer are coming and going. Um, think about the wind. Think about the slope of the hill. You're not going to be perfect all day long, right? Um, but you go, okay, my best chance is I need to be over there you know, one quadrant, like if you said, you know, I think the deer's going to be standing right here. Well, you divide it into quadrants at that spot. You go, the way the wind is, I have to be in quadrant number two. I have to be right over there and I'm going to find the best spot. Now, if you can't find a tree for a tree stand, well, then you want to try to find a spot for a ground blind. When you find a spot for a ground blind, I'm all about shade because you, it's like being in an oven in one of those in Arizona, you know, the sun's shining. It's, you just get cooked. So I will find a spot where there's a clump of oak, Oak trees or a little patch where there's a bunch of pine trees or something like that and try to get tucked into a shady spot. Um, and if you can, if there's a slope, you want to kind of be uphill, right? Cause it kind of gets a little bit of the tree stand effect there too, where they're, they're not, you're not right at their eye level. you you know, they have to look up the slope a little ways, but you're still on ground level. So it's not as good as a tree stand, but try to get some shade and if you can't get shade, put stuff on top of. It. If you have to, you can cut some limbs and put some limbs on top of the, the blind to keep it shady in there. Because this isn't this isn't the the Midwest or the East or whatever where they get cloud cover and stuff. It's going to be just baking hot in those things, even in high elevations. Um, but get your get your blind set in a place where there's shade. Same thing goes about wind. Um, And shooting lanes, but it's a lot easier to find your shooting lanes. Just walk over. I think I'll put the blind here. Oh, yeah, I got some shooting lanes. Um, And then I usually put my blind so the corner is facing where I want to shoot. And that gives me a little bit wider range. You know, usually the corner has like a, a piece of webbing right in the corner or a pole, or something right in the corner, and then you got two like, triangular windows on either side of the corner. So I will try to put that corner facing the direction I'm shooting, it also gives me more room inside. I'm going to be shooting diagonally. Um, or I'm going to be drawing my bow along the diagonal of the inside of the blind, um, which is longer than if I'm sitting just, you know, I have just a square – you know flat back and a flat front I don't have as much room to move my bow around and I'll usually leave my bow with an arrow on the rest and I'm shooting these like 32 inch arrows you know on my stick bow so I need to have a lot of room so I can pick that thing up without hitting the blind and stuff and so so I put the corner have the the two windows on the corner you if you're shooting fixed blade broadheads you can shoot through the netting on on those blinds um and then I will close all the other windows up so it's blacked out in there um and so I don't have a lot of light coming in behind. I might have like little peepholes so I can look over my shoulder if I think there's something I need to see coming. Um, but otherwise, I want it nice and nice and black in there. Um, I have a chair, but be careful that you have a chair that doesn't make noise. When you move around, it's not creaking and popping, and that the legs are not going to make noise on the, on the rocks or whatever in the ground. I clear the area of all pine needles and sticks and stuff so, and no leaves, no nothing. So I'm not going to be crunching nothing on the ground except just bare dirt in there. And then I'll set up. So my snacks and pack and stuff are in a corner where they're not going to get in the way of, of my bow and, and uh, my draw and all that. And then practice drawing because practice drawing from all different angles because you know, they might come in for much farther to your left or much farther to your right. You think, you might have to get down on one knee, practice all that stuff and don't practice it the day you get there. Cause then you go, Oh, I screwed this up. Now I got to move the blind. Well, that's a problem now. Cause you're moving it. The deer are going to notice you're going to spread some more scent around. So practice all this stuff. When you set the blind up, you know, a month or two weeks or whatever, before the season starts and every possible scenario. And you know, you're going to have to make compromises, but try to figure out what's the what's the best most likely situation and what are the things that might happen that are less likely, but possible. What can I live with? I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be able to get shot, shot straight behind me. I'm just going to have to live with that, you know? Um, but put a ton of thought into it. And again, think about that. wind. think about your background, think about the direction that the animals are going to be traveling, where they're going to be standing, what direction they're going to be looking. Um, with ground blinds especially, make sure to go um, trim any weeds or small bushes that are low to the ground. If you're hunting cusier, those things are not tall. Uh, and so, I mean, the top of the back on a big buck, I, I bet it's not 36 inches. And so there are some little le- weeds or something that are 18 inches tall. Well, that's, that's your kill zone right there. You're going to hit that when you're aiming at the kill zone. I missed a giant elk once it was it was a tough shot but i i uh, was trying to shoot over the berm of a tank and there was one little weed sticking up on top of the berm of this tank but it was late evening and i just couldn't see it and when i shot my arrow hit that little weed and it just deflected enough and pew, missed it it was like a 390 bull it was uh, i'd been trying to kill that bull for 2 weeks during the archery season it was the second to last day finally caught him at this tank and then blew that shot it was a heartbreaker um but um, check the, just grass. You know, there, there's a lot of tall grass that grows up in the summer monsoon. Just you can just most of that stuff to dry. You can just break it off and leave it bent over. You know, you don't have to bring a lawnmower in there. Just break that stuff down. Go sit in there. Okay, I need to I need to trim that one, that one, that one. Go out there and trim those things off. Bring bring some little pruners. If you have to cut, have to cut a couple branches off, you know, you can do that. But I try to leave as many as I can, whether I'm in a tree or in a blind, because they're breaking up your your um, silhouette they're providing some shade they're providing some background cover and so i i will not like i've seen people that they'll. i had a tree stand i actually shot my my first archery elk i shot out of a tree and um i'd put this tree stand up in the tree and it was a really good spot and um, shot one opening morning man the sun was up and i shot it and um, a couple years later somebody else found that water hole and they went up and put their own tree stand up in there and they cut every limb off the tree around the tree stand it was like they were sitting on a telephone pole. I'm like, you dummy. Now you're just like making yourself obvious to everything. Oh, look at that. What's that standing in the tree there? You know, leave those branches behind. Why would you cut every branch out of the tree? You know, that that's, you're re- re- losing your advantage, right? So, so think about those kinds of things. But if you have to trim them because you can't draw your bow, you know, you can't bring your arm back far enough because there's a branch behind you or, your limb's going to hit it if you have a straight downhill shot or whatever well you got to think of those opportunities so I'll, I'll sit there and draw my bow and move, move it around again this is what i'm setting it up not not the morning of but sometimes i'll do a little trim in morning of still but move it around you know and like okay yep everything's clear watch out for those little dead dead twigs that'll grow off branches and in trees too you don't necessarily see them because they don't have any needles on them but there's these little there'll be these little you know eighth inch thick little dead twigs and you It'll be the one that the deer comes in and you're going to grab your bow and you're, you're not paying attention. You hit one of those and snap, deer takes off. Don't ask me how I know. Um, so think about all that stuff. But again, if you don't think about anything else, think about the wind. Go, okay, water hole's there. Wind's coming from the southwest. I can't sit in that tree that's on the southwest side of the water hole it's going to blow my scent right at the water hole. So now the, the stand that I sat last year in Southern Arizona is South of, of there's a salt lick there. It's South of the salt lick and the wind blows, you know, maybe a little bit East, you know, from the Southwest to a little bit of the Northeast, but it is blowing at the salt lick and It's a really good tree, and my buddy put that tree stand there. It's like one of the best spots I've ever sat, honestly. And the deer, here's what I think is happening. They've killed a lot of deer out of this stand and a lot of big deer, but they kill them opening weekend or the last weekend, and here's why. This is my theory. Opening weekend is the first time you sit there. The deer are coming in. They're unaware. You get that shot. Game over, right? but once you've been sitting there opening weekend your scent has been blowing there day after day and they've figured it out they've walked by even in the dark they're picking up your scent from being there during the day you know that and so they just stop coming in and that's exactly what happened to me last year i sat sat and sat and then at near the end of the hunt you know it's a couple of weeks later they start kind of coming back because now they've kind of gotten used to that scent there's been somebody sitting there or there's been the sweaty ass prints of somebody that was sitting there you know before and so they're kind of getting used to that and then they start coming back i think that's what's going on so i want to go down there and put a another stand up that's to the east of this salt lake instead of to the south ish of it because then the wind will at least be blowing perpendicular to me um there's really no place to put it on the north side, but that's where I'd prefer to put it would be the north of, of the spot um, because right behind it is a big canyon, and the deer, the, they're, it's on a ridge that runs east and west, and the deer walk up this ridge from the east up to high elevation on the west, and then in the evening they come back down that ridge. So the deer are walking east and west up the ridge mostly. Sometimes they come from the south, um but they never come from the north out of that canyon at least i haven't seen them do it and i don't think they do it very often and i've seen bears walk up in east and west on that ridge as well so if you're sitting to the south of the of the ridge top you'll see them come walking by but they're gonna they're gonna scent you as they walk by because they're downwind of you so if you could sit on the very north edge of that canyon where your wind's gonna just blow out into space the other way that's the ideal situation and i i've that's what I look for a lot. If I have an area that has a lot of topography, I'm going to try to find a spot where I can put my stand relative to the trails. And I'm usually hunting trails or trying to hunt trails because they're already there, then anyway, you know. And if you've got a water hole there that they're going to, or you've got a salt lick or whatever, you can catch them on their way, coming or going. But I try to put it in a way that I can hunt that spot. I want to be on the downwind side of the spot. And ideally, I want my scent blowing off into space into a big canyon over a ridge whatever now you're, you're, you always have compromises if something's coming that way they're going to smell you but um you're you're upping your odds of of um getting them the you know with the with the wind at, in your favor and i think we've all realized now that the uh, scent lock suits and stuff was a scam um and i always said that i mean i never bought into it in the first place and if for no other reason, in Arizona, you're always sweating. You, you, there's no way you're going to get to one of your hunting spots without sweating, and there's no way you're going to fool. No amount of scent lock suit is going to cover up all of your scent. It's coming out of your clothes. Even if the suits do actually work, it's, it's still coming out through the holes, your, your sleeve holes, your neck hole, your pant leg holes, your face, your head. Um, they're going to smell you. And, you know, there's all the testimonials about it. And my buddy down there in Tucson, he's still – he changes clothes at the blind every day well yeah you're upwind of the salt you probably need to change your clothes but um i think that big buck that, that i didn't get last year i think it was because he was educated he he was one of the older ones he might have been shot at there before right and so other deer were coming in and they i had deer bedded down you know right in front of me several different days i had deer bedded 45 minutes hour and you know less than 20 yards from me and when that big buck came in he came with three other bucks the first three bucks came in they were looking around a little bit nervous but not really that nervous the big buck came in turned around just walked away never stopped and I think yep he probably just got enough of that scent he's like nope they're they're still here I'll come back later and that that was my hunt you know that was the buck I was hoping to kill I didn't know it before I saw him but I was, I was trying to hold out for a really big buck, and he was like a 110-inch buck. And I was like, oh, and as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, that's the one. But that's the brakes, you know. I didn't get him. And so that's why I want to go down there and move, put a stand up, you know, on a different spot. And, and uh, it won't be as good of a spot in terms of the tree, but it'll be um, a better spot with respect to the wind. So bad tree, good spot. So – That's my philosophy of archery deer hunting, specifically for coos deer here in Arizona. Again, if I were mule deer hunting, I would honestly do some glassing in some, you know, middle elevation country. Um, The juniper grasslands, I have a neighbor here. He kills big deer all the time, mule deer all the time um, in the Prescott area doing that. Um, You can, you can, um, you can definitely glass up and spot and stock mule deer better this time of year and um just still hunting through the the thicker forests you know up in the white mountains or up around flagstaff or something like that and um you know i wish i had a dollar for every time i had a mule deer that i didn't shoot because oh i got a rifle coos deer tag that i'm going to shoot a boone and crockett deer when rifle season comes around so i'm not going to shoot a carp deer today and then of course i never well a couple times i've shot boone and crockett coos deer but never once well only once when I passed up a shot at a deer during archery season because I had a rifle tag, did I actually end up shooting a deer with my rifle that was bigger than the one I passed up? And that was my biggest coos deer, 130-inch, non-typical. And I had a giant two-by-two two mule deer that I would have been proud to shoot. But I was like, well, I got this coos deer tag. And it was in a new unit I'd never hunted before. And I just, I was like, nah, I'm really was looking forward to this hunt. So I passed it up. And all the other years I've been bow hunting and passing up, shots on mule deer or smaller coos deer that's the only time I passed up a shot during archery season and and I didn't later go why did I why did I pass that up I should have shot those deer so don't don't do what I do (laughs) if you see one you like shoot it Um, and we'll see you know I uh, another little thing to think about is the quota system and so I'm planning my hunt now kind of based on when units are closing last year, I had planned to hunt an area, and it closed opening weekend. So I got a couple of days of hunting, and then that was that. Um, so I'm not putting a lot of effort into that. So I you know, I did my analysis last year, and I'm picking areas that a lot of the coos deer hunts don't close up, but this northern Arizona any antler deer ones will. And so um, I'm trying to go through those and okay, which are the ones that they have a coos deer hunt that usually stays open, or the mule deer hunt didn't didn't close opening weekend because why put a bunch of time into finding a good spot if you're not going to be able to hunt it more than one weekend. And so that's just something to think about. You know, I, I did the podcast on that. I didn't give you every bit of the data, but I think that data is probably still available. You might get it before they replace it before the season starts. If you want to see when, when all the various units close, but you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into being a successful hunter and, um, and drawn tags and things like that um and so just playing those odds is, is part of that that's that's how i've drawn 16 bull elk tags is by playing odds and knowing how the system works and now we have a new system we have this deer quota so if you're putting all your eggs into unit 27 well you're only going to get five days to hunt friday saturday sunday monday tuesday wednesday you'll get to wednesday after you get six days to hunt because it closed last year you know, first week closed on Wednesday, um, so maybe pick unit twenty-eight. You know, it might stay open longer, um, but you know, it's uh, if you got a spot you like to hunt and it closes opening weekend, we'll just make sure you're there opening weekend and don't wait till the second weekend. Um, so that's just a new wrinkle in the in the formula this year, and uh, something to think about. And so it's definitely affecting some of my choices about places I want to hunt. Um, and we'll see how it goes. I, I am hoping, hoping that, um, I will get down to Southern Arizona, but I, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it down there, but I don't have, I don't have any really hot plans right now. So, and then my, my daughter who got married this summer, they had a very small wedding. And so now we're having receptions. Well, we have family in Arizona and then her husband has family in Colorado. So having Colorado reception, September 9th, I think an Arizona reception, which happens to be at my house on September 2nd, I think I might be, or maybe I got those backwards anyhow. So I'll, there'll be some of the archery deer hunt that I will be missing this year, unless I kill something early. Cause I'll be hosting a, hosting a wedding reception of so, sorts at my house, but, um, I'll need a break from, from hunting anyway, if I'm sitting in a tree stand every day, going, going stir crazy. Um, All right. I'm sure I left something useful out. Oh, buy your lion tag. (laughs) Okay. One of the beautiful things about this time of year is you can go to your tree stand with a pocket full of tags. Now, not all units are going to be open for bear hunting. So make sure you check some, some units are actually opening early, August 11th. A lot of units are opening August 25th. Other units don't open until August 6th. And of course they have a quota there. So check that stuff. But If you pick an area, you can have a fall turkey tag. Now, not every unit is open for fall turkey. 19A, do not turkey hunt in 19A with your fall turkey tag. I know somebody that did that and got a ticket for it. Not me, because I read the regulations. Um, You got your fall turkey tag, you got your deer tag, you got your bear tag, you got your lion tag. You have a tag full of pockets. I tell myself that every year, but then I'm too dang selective. I passed up a couple of bears two years ago on opening morning, and then it, Dumped rain on me, you know. So um we'll see. I passed up a bear last year that you know I had. If you look at my Instagram, I got pictures and video of this bear at five yards from my tree stand looking at me. But he just I was like, ah, you know, it's not that big, you know, I'll let it go. Um, I don't know why, it's kind of dumb, but that's just the way that's the way I operate. But it's nice to have that pocket full of tags. You know, you, you, you can be opportunistic about stuff, but keep track of the quotas and what's open and closed. And we obviously have a lion season now instead of being year round and there are quotas, but the lion season opens opening day of our tree deer season, August 25th. So but double check, make sure your area is open, check the quotas on that too. It's a little bit of a pain in the ass. You know, you can't just go to the Game Fish website and it doesn't have a button to go. Check bear harvest quota here. You have to kind of search for it. Um, I usually just save the page on a tab on my phone or my computer, so I don't have to search for it every time, and I check it, you know, regularly just because I want to know what's happening. By the way, uh, another rant that maybe I should go on in the future is the spring bear hunt this year. Two female bears were killed. There was, there I think if if every unit had filled, it would have been like closer to twenty five or something like that. And basically, by shorting shortening our spring bear season this year, Game and Fish has effectively taken spring bear away from us. Um because most of the bears aren't even coming out of their, their dens until right about the time that the season um, opened, or season closed, excuse me. It opened in March, and it closed like the third week of April. And if you look at the research by Al Account on uh, bear hibernation and stuff, the average date of emergence from the den for male bears is like April 15th or something like that. And for females, it's like a week later or whatever, which is, I'm sure, why they shorten the season. But if you look at last year's, Season and the seasons before that, and the season before that, where the season ended when the quote, female harvest quota was filled, or July 31st, almost all the units didn't close. They weren't killing female bears. They were hardly killing any bears. So you could hunt bears all summer, and it was great, you know. But now they've effectively said, oh, yeah, we sure we have a still have a spring bear hunt, but there's very few bears getting killed, and obviously, very few females getting killed. There's two this year. I just looked today to check on that um and you know there there if you add up all the quotas there was probably 25 bears that could have been killed so so that's something you know if you ever want to write a letter to game of fish you might complain about that because there is no shortage of bears in arizona we have a very healthy bear population i talked to one of the supervisors up here in northern arizona and he says man it's it's going crazy we got bears everywhere and obviously we just had a guy get eaten by a bear here in prescott um and we have bear sightings in Prescott Valley It's Safeway at Circle K in Prescott Valley we've had bear sightings um there's lots of bears and so it's it's beyond me the only thing I can think of is the anti-hunters got to them and said oh you know sows with cubs are going to accidentally get killed um on these spring hunts so you need to shorten them up or maybe somebody in Game of Fish had that idea well you know you're you're not harvesting bears if you if you shorten that season to close the third week of April. It's just that's not going to happen, and so you're you're selling a hunt that isn't really a hunt. So that's my rant on this on the bear stuff. And I assume everybody's heard about the bear that attacked and ate a guy up here in Prescott, but it was it was not pretty. I watched the entire press conference with the Game of Fish uh, biologist and veterinarian, and there was nothing wrong with this bear. There was no sign that it had been habituated to humans. It had been eating trash. The guy hadn't had anything out attracting it. The neighbors hadn't seen the bear before. Um, It was a 366-pound, 7- to 10-year-old male bear with lots of fat on it, with no bad teeth, no injuries. It was a 100% predatory attack. That bear was planning on eating that dude, and it did a good job. My buddy Josh, who I had on the podcast in the past, did the body recovery on the guy. Um, He is in the sheriff's um search and rescue does a lot of body recoveries and stuff and he actually did the body recovery on the guy and it um it wasn't good so um i think that's really interesting because just last year is the first time i ever even started carrying a gun when i was out calling bears i was trying to get them to come in looking for a meal and i still don't like carrying a gun when i'm out there bow hunting but this one made me think about it a little bit more and and in all I've read in the past was when a black bear attacks it's attacking it's a predatory attack whereas brown bears or grizzlies will will bluff charge um, it's more of a territorial thing often they still will eat people but black bears when they attack it's almost always because they're trying to eat you and then you you have to fight to the death because you're you know they're they're not just bluffing and the game and fish biologist said the same thing about this situation you know so. So anyhow, it was a really grim, sad situation, um, and it's not good PR for the bears. It's not good PR for Game and Fish Department. Not that's their fault at all, um, and it's certainly not the guy's fault what happened to him. But now we got all these people that are paranoid that, like, every time they see a bear, they're, they're going to freak out and shoot it or something, and we don't really need that. 99.999% of bears are not interested in eating you. There's just something about that bear that made him made him aggressive and think that that guy was a meal. So just something else to think about, you know, like a video in the bear last year that was like looking like it was going to climb up my tree stand. It never occurred to me that I was in any danger. I was just like, oh, I'm going to get some good video of this bear. And it's looking at me. You know, it knew I was there. I might think a little bit differently <laughs> next time. I started carrying bear spray when I was calling bears a couple of years ago, and then last year as a first year I actually carried a, a handgun. But you know, well, I'll think about it more, at least when I'm calling bears, probably not when I'm out archery deer hunting or something, but when I'm calling bears, I'll probably be bringing the the 10 mil. So, so anyhow, I think that's it. Um, I, I, I honestly, I've been meaning to make a podcast. Uh, I went to a little traditional archery shoot this summer and a couple guys there are like, Oh man, you haven't made a podcast in a while. And I had some guy over here you know, picking up llama poo and he's like, Oh, I haven't heard podcasts in a while, you know, and these are people I didn't even know, listen to it. And and I keep getting downloads. And so I'm like, I guess people want to listen. So I'll, I'll try to do better at, at keeping up on it. it. It makes me happy that, that people actually care about what I say. I mean, I'm sitting in a room talking, talking to a microphone by myself with my dog over here, but it, it really is nice to hear that people like hearing some of the things I say. And even if you don't like it, if you're listening, and you get something out of it, well, great. Um, so I appreciate those people that are making the comments and downloading, and and um, I'll try to do a better job. I mean, I'm paying every month to host these dang things. I should at least be putting up one a month, I suppose. Um, but I'll try to do some more. And and this one was just just happened to be an evening. My wife's down in Phoenix visiting my my daughter, and and uh, I was like, you know what? I think I, I think I got some time. The house is quiet. I'll I'll make a little podcast. So. So I got all caught up talking about archery deer, trying to give you some tips for, for um, you know, fall archery deer season. And um, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, uh, easiest way is just reach me on Instagram at Close Range Hunter, and I'm also on Facebook, at Close Range Hunter. But um, I don't, um, I don't don't interact on Facebook as much. I don't even. I haven't been posting on Instagram honestly. Neither has my wife. The llama business where. Uh, on a hiatus with the llamas right now just trying to do other stuff so we're we're kind of not on social media too much but i'd be i'd love to hear from people um about ideas or improvements or whatever um so don't be afraid to reach out it's it's nice to know somebody cares (laughs) so um so anyhow that's it that's a wrap on close range hunter episode 14 shoot straight bye (music) all right.